Hello and welcome to Kiri Presents or Inspiring Stories. This is the podcast where I sit down with a special guest to share their inspiring story, journeys and thoughts along the way. So sit back and enjoy. Today I'm joined by Lindsay Goodyear as we sit down to talk about being a mum to her autistic daughter Amelia to celebrate Autism Awareness Month this April. There are an estimated 700,000 people in the UK who are autistic and the numbers are ever increasing. After recently watching a documentary by Chris Packham who is also autistic himself, as part of my research he describes autism as a disability that affects the way you see and interact with the world a developmental disability that basically affects the senses such as taste, hearing and texture. We want to shine a positive light on autism spectrum disorder as it's still to this day associated with negative connotations. Let's try and destigmatize and inevitably raise more awareness of this ever-increasing and hidden disability. And here's the show. Thank you so much for having me around your house on your nice comfy sofa to do this podcast. Hi Kiri, that's okay, no problem. Brilliant. So the reason, as you know, I decided to do this podcast is because I just seem to know a lot of people with experience in autism. I've got a friend who's a SENCO who works in schools. I've got a friend who's a carer of autistic children within a family. And as you know, I've got lots of friends that are parents of autistic children, including yourself. So I just felt like I wanted to bring lots of experiences all together. So that's the reason. So Lindsay, you have a daughter and a son, and it's your daughter Amelia who is autistic. When did you first notice that Amelia could be autistic? What traits did she present? Bearing in mind for people listening to this, as you know, all autistic children, adults, boys, girls, they all present differently. Um, So what stood out? For Amelia, I do remember you talking about sensory differences when she was younger. And yeah, elaborate, what else did you notice? Okay, so I think the first time we noticed Amelia was a bit different was at a parents' evening at nursery when she was probably she was probably three at the time and they just said they'd noticed she was slightly different to the other children. So when they were playing the tidying up song, she wouldn't engage in tidying up, she would just dance around in circles <laughs> so she sounded very happy <laughs> but she also struggled when the nursery teachers would say can the children put their shoes and coats on and line up to go outside I think that probably the main sign was Melia couldn't deal with those three instructions together mm-hmm. and she just would not be able to do anything because she couldn't cope with those three different instructions of things to do in one go so they didn't, nobody ever really said what they thought it could be and they're probably not qualified to tell us. But they said there's something we think is not quite the same as the other children here and that was something we then took to school when she went to school. She's one of the youngest children in the year, so she's a June baby, so she went to school when she was four. So the first year at school was quite a lot of she could just be young for her age. This is just what children do. But we kept pushing that forward because I always thought a kind of 
me and my brothers are all dyslexic, so we've always kind of lived with that. And my youngest brother is five years younger than me and was diagnosed. I think we were all diagnosed at the same time. And he just got more support. And I, so in my mind, I just wanted somebody, I wanted people to understand what it was that affected Amelia so she could get more support and mm-hmm. that she would never be seen as a naughty child. Mm-hmm. So I think she was about six and a half when she was officially diagnosed. And that was the first time it really came up. It was at the start of the pandemic, actually, in April 2020, when she had her first, it was a telephone appointment with the doctor, and she mentioned autism then, and kind of gave a bit of information about it. But for me, it was, I don't know, it was never going to actually change my daughter. It's something that she is to do with her, but it doesn't change who she is in fact, in that way. And what other traits did she have? It was not being able to follow the instructions or lots of instructions in a row. Yeah. That's, I suppose, to do with the information overload, yeah, isn't it? Because their brains so are constantly sort of working. Definitely a processing issue. Um, so it was the instructions. Um, later on, it started to pick up very sensory issues. So yeah. when she went to school, she didn't like having her cardigan over her arms. So my mum actually cut off the sleeves of her cardigan, and she has short sleeve cardigans. At some point, since she's been at school, she stopped wearing socks because she didn't like the feel of socks or tights or leggings on her legs, so she didn't like the socks where they tickled her feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has lots of sensory issues with clothing, and school have kind of noticed, I think, probably other sensory issues. I think when she's in a classroom, she gets bombarded by sort of different noises and sounds and everything that's going on. And she can often just scream a lot when she can't control what's going on and she can't express, she can't get her feelings out. Yeah. So I think she obviously isn't non-verbal, but she kind of has that where it all gets too much. She can't verbalise what she needs to say to get the help she needs, so she just screams. Yeah, so it's like that overwhelm, yeah. intense overwhelm that she goes through so how did you feel when she was diagnosed did you find that hard to come to terms with Lindsay or was there that sense of relief that suddenly it all made sense I didn't think it was a bad thing at all no (laughs) to be honest I I still don't I just think I mean it was a it was quite a long process so it, it probably took about nine months to get the official diagnosis so as I say there was kind of a vague mention of it early on and it's fed in so you don't it's not a sudden autism it was there was a build up yeah it was very much a build up and a process to it Mm -hmm. so yeah but as I said I just don't it doesn't change who Amelia is she was still my daughter and still exactly the same person it just has enabled us to get so much more help for her yeah and for people to also understand her like the friends she's got now at school can understand that sometimes yeah Amelia will stand in class and scream but there's a reason why she does that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want everybody to think, oh gosh, yeah, Amelia is such a naughty child because she doesn't do this. She doesn't follow instructions. And when she's upset, she just screams to try and get people's attention. It's like, no, she doesn't do those. She doesn't do it for those reasons. So yeah, I just think it's the best thing, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. And she was quite young when you did find out. It's quite unusual for a girl. Because sometimes they're thought to present more subtly, aren't they? And sometimes mask their feelings they fit in. Yeah. Did you see, I'm sure you did, Christine McGuinness's documentary where she described 
how she was basically pretending her whole life so she could blend in with other people. I feel like Amelia didn't mask it because you did find out quite early that what became more obvious, do you think? Yeah, I don't think she's ever masked. And Mm. we were watching um, Chris Packham's documentaries about um, autism and the girl on there who said she had to mask things from her mother. And I think Mm. Amelia found that quite unusual because she's never been in a situation where she had to do that. And maybe it's because from a really early age, we just started to adapt to her needs. So with like the cardigans and we never got her to wear socks. We just realised it was too much for her. And then school were very supportive as well. So I think she's always been able to be herself. Yeah, and maybe the traits are more obvious as well, because some children's traits are more subtle, yeah. aren't they? And that's what makes it the spectrum, because everyone's so different. Yeah, like everyone. every, Everyone's different. All autistic people are different, too. Yeah. yeah. So I think school were very good at picking it up and running with it as well. Mm. So that probably helped get the early diagnosis. I do think we sort of pushed school as well early on mm. to say we don't think that's right or normal. We don't, you know, I don't think it is just because she's four. Yeah, it could have been this because she, like you say, she was young yeah, in the year. Yeah, she was, I think school have just been fantastic really in identifying it early and getting yeah. the support she needs. And maybe there are things that are probably more obvious in school for her than Perhaps other girls with are autistic might be different. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And there has been a huge increase in the amount of people being diagnosed as autistic, hasn't there, over the past probably 30 years? So I'm wondering, Lindsay, why do you think this is? Do you think it is to do with today's world and external factors? Or do you think it's because we're becoming more aware of the differences and have better recognition and diagnosis? Because many adults are being diagnosed now, aren't they, that were missed as children? I think there's more recognition, I mean, particularly Mm. in girls, because I think when we were younger, I don't think people thought girls were autistic and probably thought that it was maybe something that was in boys and it was very much something that was a sociable thing and probably they were non-verbal or not very good at speaking to people, making eye contact, and I think... Obviously, girls, that's very different, and autism presents very differently in girls. So, yeah, I think as everybody's learned, as the world's probably learned more about it and studied it more and realised that it can be found in girls and women, yeah, I guess there's just more understanding and awareness, um, which is only a good thing for Amelia because she can live a life in a world that understands her. Mm. And the children who are in our class who understand her, they're just amazing because they adapt to her needs and want to help her and don't I think autism probably it doesn't have I guess from it was always probably thought of as I suppose something Amelia said to me today is a learning disability and she was sat this morning and she just said does that mean I'm stupid mm. and I was like no it doesn't it just means your brain works in a different way and I think that's just a change in our culture probably and how mm. we understand different disabilities that people might have it's no longer sort of that yeah it, I mean, it seems weird to say it's a disability in a sense as well because actually it's sort of more of a superpower that your brain works <laughs> a different way <laughs> love that yeah I mean it has often been misdiagnosed for something else especially in girls it wasn't identified like you say and Christine McGuinness found that out in her documentary and that can be incredibly dangerous particularly if medication is involved and on the other hand, like you say, it hasn't been diagnosed at all. 
and then sometimes missed as bad behaviour. And that's what you were worried about, weren't you? You didn't yeah. want Amelia to, you know, people to think Amelia was being naughty. But I am interested to know, Lindsay, because you know Amelia's autistic, how do you distinguish between challenging behaviour that she that could arise because she is autistic compared to, as we know, children sometimes make poor choices, um, many children do, as we know. So how do you distinguish between those behaviours? I think it's very difficult. Mm. And I think I'm still trying to learn because it's hard to, I think you have to, I have to adapt very much to discipline Amelia in a way she needs to be disciplined because she doesn't deal with being, with kind of negative emotions very well. And that's mm-hmm. something her, I think her brain just can't process and function. So she gets very upset if she's told off for something that's really quite minor. So I'm, t- I'm still trying to find my way I think I don't think there's any I think one of the difficulties of being a parent of a child an autistic child is just there is no kind of I mean there's no handbook for any parents but then there's no particular handbook for autism either because autism can present so differently so you've always got to just be kind of working on your feet and thinking of different solutions that might work for different situations yeah I don't think she generally tries to be that naughty I think it's actually more something the autistic traits coming out in her behaviours as a whole. So trial and error, that's basically parenting. Yeah. If yeah. only there was a handbook for parenting, <laughs> yeah. I would definitely buy that, absolutely. Um, so you have mentioned school and you've mentioned how brilliant they've been and her friends have been so supportive. Really, really good to hear. And Amelia was at school during that time. And so they must have provided supporting evidence when she was going through that diagnosis. And then once she was diagnosed, did they sort of then adapt her learning to get to that level playing field. They've made loads of adaptions in school. Mm. So she, I mean, she's now got an educational healthcare plan, which we worked on throughout year three. Mm-hmm. But until that point, they always made, they sort of used um, pictures so she could do uh, sort of now, next and after that. So she could see the sequence of events. She very much kind of was quite a routine person. They've always made sure that she's got, she's in with the right teacher and with the right TA to support that teacher and her. She's got, she's now got like special breakout corners where she can go Mm -hmm. and use her sensory toys. And that's her own little sensory space where the world's getting too much. She can go and have a bit of kind of chill out time. Um, They've put in loads of interventions because she really, she suffered with or she still suffers with her mental health quite badly so she's been to see people like um this charity called listening ear who comes into school who are just brilliant at doing kind of play therapy yeah so a huge variety of things i probably don't even know all of the things they do but it's really very personalized for her isn't it um i've got a friend laura who's a primary school teacher and she was saying that yeah, they do try and make it more personalised for children that aren't sort of what what we call neurotypical in schools. Um, and if they do need those extra support systems, then they're, they're there, which is great. And she mentioned sensory rooms, sensory equipment. Yeah. And it's great that Amelia's got an EHCP because they're really hard to get, yeah. aren't they? Sometimes they can take a year or, or longer. Yeah, I think the process for us was quite quick once it started. It mm. was... The difficulty was getting the report out of school, but they rightly focused on the children that needed the HDP more. So the Senko 
the Senko is actually part Senko, part teacher, so she'd been Amelia's teacher in year one, so she knew her very well. Yeah, well, that was um, handy then. Which was really yeah. good. So she wrote, I think she wrote the report in the, at the beginning of year three, was by the time that she was had said to me, look, the Amelia doesn't really actually need the HDP and the extra funding until she gets into key stage two, okay. where it will be more obvious and the learning techniques and styles will be more structured in, a, I guess, a school day that won't work so well for Amelia and that's when she will need the support, whereas there are other children who were sort of in year six and going to secondary that needed the AHCP so they could help with their secondary choices and what they were going to do at secondary. Yeah. So I totally understand she is one lady and had to prioritise her time. Senkos are under so much pressure, aren't they? I've got a friend, Alex, who's a Senko, and the amount of time she spends doing all these reports because she wants to do it thoroughly and make sure they get the support they need. It's unreal. I mean, she did an excellent job because we submitted it and I think the local authority had 20 weeks to deal with it and I'm pretty Mm. sure they did it in that time and we had the HDP and we've had it for a year now and does she have to be a certain number of years behind academically to get it or does it depend on um, local authority and things like that I don't know to be honest I mean I know at that stage Amelia was they said she was about two years behind mm. with her reading and writing of I'm not sure if it was the other children or where she should be so she was clearly in need of the extra support yeah it's hard to say whether it was because the level of support she needs or because of how it was written. I don't, it's the first time I've ever really been through that process as a parent or an adult. So yeah. it's kind of a learning curve for me too. But the school have done wonderfully There's, for her. Haven't yeah, they? they've I think. just done amazing because they were doing, yeah. they were doing all the interventions before anyway, mm. without the funding, without the plan. And now it's just more formalised and we've, we've got our annual review coming up at the end of, April so good to have that process and the fact that we're going to continue to discuss it because Amelia's needs change and she changes over time. And I do remember you telling me recently that Amelia's school did a talk about autism to the other children so Amelia could feel a bit more understood and the other children can have more of an awareness because children do need to know that everyone is different and hopefully especially in Amelia's class it might help reduce the stigma associated with autism. I think all schools should do that. So since that talk, I know you said Amelia's got lots of friends and they're really supportive of her needs, but do you think this will help her in those aspects of her life? Will she become more confident, do you think? Yeah, I I mean, it totally helped her because she started... Every year I've kind of, since she was diagnosed, I've told parents of the children in her class because I wanted them to understand if they're children were coming home and saying Amelia's doing this, Amelia's doing that to be able to explain it to them. Yeah. And there's a lovely video that school shared with me that I've shared with parents that just explains autism to children. I think that's really useful. And at the start of this year, I hadn't really told anybody because they change the classes every year, but obviously the 90 children have been in the school now for five years, so I've kind of thought, oh, maybe everybody knows. And I wasn't on my mum jobs. (laughs) She did... (laughs) I think she did her first day in school and came back and decided she didn't want to go to school anymore. And we sat down and talked about it. And I realised that it was because the other children, she didn't think the other children knew she was autistic. So the next morning I went into school and I asked the teacher to show the children a video. And that's when they had the discussion about 
autism and it just absolutely revolutionized it for Amelia suddenly wow. she went she went from not wanting to go to being quite happy to go to school ever since because she was just yeah it was just fantastic that's I mean, because they've got the information yeah. and they're not silly children can take on yeah it's like they could so understand her and they could support her and there was they had a class discussion about the people they knew with that were autistic yeah and so people were able to say oh my brother or my sister etc and one of her friends was able to say i know somebody and it's amelia and mm. they said that very proudly which is really lovely, oh, that is lovely. um it just opens so up the conversation yeah it's such yeah. a supportive environment and then this friday they've got a non-uniform day for neurodiversity so i expect they'll probably without focusing on amelia obviously do a, a whole school kind of learning a bit and understanding a bit more about it which is amazing wow oh you're really lucky to have such a supportive school aren't you yeah so you feel Amelia is included as much as possible into the curriculum and friendship groups that's really nice to hear and how do you feel in the parent circle have you found there is a little bit of a stigma attached to it or do you feel the majority are understanding to yours and Amelia's needs I think the majority of parents have been understanding to be honest yeah I do sometimes I guess I don't know how much how deep an understanding everybody has but then that's quite a lot to ask as well because even I would not say I'm an expert (laughs) I don't (laughs) I've tried to learn as much as I can about it but it's trying to understand something that can be so varied and present itself so in so many different ways in children I think it's quite hard as well Mm-hmm. So yeah, on the whole, I think I'd say supportive. Yeah. I can't believe she's going into year five in September. Yeah, it's, going. it's gone so quickly. I would just remember us going up and down the zigzags with the babies in the buggy, like all <laughs> yeah. those years ago. How did we do that? I don't think I could do it without a buggy now. Um, so have you thought we'll probably we'll start thinking about secondary school, won't you? Soon, and I always feel primary as being, as being quite nurturing. How do you feel about the next step and what options are there for her in this area? Yeah, it's quite scary. <laughs> yeah. The thought of her going to secondary because I don't... Yeah, the primary, I mean, we've been very lucky with her primary anyway. It's been... They've just been brilliant. And mm. we, like, I don't know if we'll find that in the secondary. So we've actually, because she has the HCP, we get sort of an element of choice as to where she will go mm-hmm. but we also have to decide by next April when we have our annual review oh do you so I didn't actually realize that until recently so I need to upgrade my secondary school search to more importance than anything because I've only got a year whereas most parents have sort of got another year and a half yeah I just I haven't really found anywhere particularly yet but I need to start looking properly and speaking to the Senkos at various local secondary schools. And it's, I think it's going to be really a tough decision for us because mm. I do know that the local secondary is one where most of her school friends will go because the primary is linked to the secondary. But they're very strict, and I know why they're very strict, and I totally understand why they're very strict. But the way, I don't know how I mean, I don't think Amelia will cope with that strictness mm. which is in a real shame because she's made some lovely friends and it's trying to decide what you know give what, what things you're going to give more importance the fact that her friendship groups are going there so she might feel more settled or 
how she's going to cope with this level of discipline, whether that's going to affect her mental health more than actually not being with her friends. It's, yeah, it's... Um, so a balance, isn't it? Yeah, and it's a very difficult decision to have to be, to be faced with. But I think at the moment I don't have a lot of information either, so I'm hoping that once I get some more information from the schools locally, that might help mm. me make, or as make a decision. Secondary schools are bigger, aren't they? So I, do, I just wonder how personalised they can be because there's going to be more children in secondary schools. Yeah. And it does seem like a lot of primary schools are really offering that personalised learning, which is lovely. And, yeah, whether that's just, that will continue yeah, into the... Probably not available at a... Larger school. Larger comprehensive. It's, um, there is a all-girls. I just don't think mm. that we will get a place there, but or that I'd even want her to be in Surrey because <laughs> mm. it's a long way from home or that she'd want to be there either, really. But I just wish there was more... I wish there was that kind of option in Dorset because that would be amazing. Yeah, that does sound amazing. Hopefully, once you do some research, there might be a school that, that sticks out and would be perfect. I think, yeah, it's a case of sort of going around and visiting and getting a feel for Amelia as well, for her to have a look around yeah. and and how safe she feels in those different environments. So hopefully you'll find something for her. I'm wondering how you and Dave are when it comes to what's best for Amelia. Obviously, he's going to be in that decision process as well, with looking at schools with you. How has it affected the family dynamic since Amelia has been diagnosed? And then you've got little Thomas now. Yes. He's, well, he starts school actually in September, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Goodness me. Yeah, so how yeah. does it all affect the dynamics? Um... I think it's in some ways it has been quite difficult because trying to understand autism is quite difficult and there isn't there isn't sort of a right way and a wrong way I don't and I mean it's probably like with parenting but it just adds an extra dimension to it anyway of um yeah different things you need to try and understand and get your head around so it has been challenging and I think Dave probably finds it more challenging than I do, and I. But I think I've sort of learnt to grow an extra level of patience as well, mm. because I think patience is a really key criteria to have. Because sometimes you will see your child doing something that you can't see the logic in, on, and you can't necessarily understand where that behaviour is coming from. And the worst thing you could do, particularly with Amelia is start telling her off because it's not something she would see as negative. It's not something she can control. And that then just spirals out of control. So I've had to sort of learn to take a lot of deep breaths and trying to think about a situation in a very different way and how to work around it without focusing on it, I suppose, too. I like just, I suppose, an example on... She has very curly hair, which is a bit of a <laughs> nightmare when you're also an autistic person. Um, yeah. So she really... When it comes to washing it. Washing it, and, brushing yeah. it, drying it, anything to do with her hair. Yeah. Obviously, the sensory side of brushing out knots is awful. Anyway, Another level. So we had a ballet exam. So she has to have her hair in a bun, which is a nightmare with curly hair anyway. But she doesn't like there being lumps in her bun or her hair so where you or I might just get a little bump that to be fair I couldn't even really see it but she gets very upset that this bump is 
going to make people look at her differently and treat her in different ways. And it's, I mean, it's something I couldn't even really tell was there. And I'd spent probably about an hour trying to get her hair into this bun and it was perfect as far as I could <laughs> tell. So I just had to try and distract her and make her think of something different because she couldn't get her focus off this lump and yeah. we just didn't have time to redo her hair. <laughs> it was just not going to work. So I often like try and distract her with something funny yeah. and a joke and something to kind of just get her mind off it. And then she's actually had the bun in now for two straight days, which I don't really understand how well, she's... she slept in it. Yeah, I don't <laughs> understand how she's coped with that because I couldn't cope with that. I would find that far too much. Um, but it's still got the lump. <laughs> but we've managed to work our way around that situation. You've done a great job with the distraction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's trying to parent... It's just trying to find a solution that works for you and your child. Yeah. Always straightforward and not always obvious, Mm. and takes a bit of time and a bit of thought. Absolutely. So, speaking of families, when I watched the Paddy and Christine McGuinness's documentary, they've got three autistic children, haven't they? Um, Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah. So, Christine also received her diagnosis as an adult. It came to light that autism is actually genetic. So I was just interested to know if anyone else in your family could be autistic. I think... Or are they? Do you know well, if they are? I don't know that they are. Oh, okay. I see a lot of traits. Right. I don't know if that's because I know more about autism or because they're there. I don't know. I see traits in myself. I see traits in Thomas. Mm-hmm. I see some traits in Dave too. So, but again, it's being probably more aware of autism and... I suppose it's it's like a colour wheel of yeah. different things. So you can be high in one colour and low in another colour. Yeah. And I suppose, and I don't know whether any of us would be kind of diagnosed as being autistic, but we haven't, as adults, we haven't pursued that. No. It's something that I will be keeping a close eye on Thomas when he goes to school. Because yeah. it just, again, he's very different to Amelia. He can follow instructions, but there are other sensory things and things to do with routines Mm. that I see in him which again could just be a child but I think maybe it's worth sort of pushing school and identifying them to school so that they can think about whether he also needs to go down a route of a diagnosis to get that extra support because if he is he might as well have the support that she has to. Yeah absolutely it's interesting isn't it because I actually didn't know it was genetic until I watched those documentaries and yeah with documentaries like you say Chris Packham did a series didn't he that was fantastic to watch I was so um, interested by watching that and he's autistic himself as well isn't he and there just seems to be more people talking and campaigning to raise awareness of autism which is such a huge turnaround but what I have noticed is there seems to be more terms such as neurodiverse neurotypical that we're starting to use and I was interested to know how you felt about these terms, Lynn's. Yeah, I think they're probably better in a sense than autism because I think autism is something that's probably got quite a negative connotation with it. But being neurodiverse, it just it doesn't make you know, like Amelia said, the word learning disability. Mm. This morning, I just thought that's not a very nice term, and mm. I don't think it's the right way to describe her. You know, it's about your your brain just works differently, and it's actually 
in a lot of scenarios that could be seen as a superpower as opposed mm. to something yeah. potentially negative that would affect I mean it does affect the way you learn it doesn't necessarily impact your intelligence yeah it, I love the way you keep saying superpower it's such a positive <laughs> yeah. way of looking at it which is well, great yeah I mean there's certain things that I think that probably autistic people particularly if they have a focus on one thing and a dedication to one thing to that, that drive to see it through and understand it mm. probably leads to a lot of people autistic people maybe being successful in their careers and what they do and I don't know whether um this is we've I've just read different not less oh, by yeah. Chloe Hayden which I think is a really amazing book to read definitely and I'd definitely if there was anything I'd say to any parents who have their child diagnosed as autistic is definitely worth reading because it, it explains it she's obviously a person she's been diagnosed as autistic at quite and um, i think she's about 13 or 14 but she just explains how she feels and how an autistic person's brain works so well but um mm. i'm kind of divulging because in the book she quote she provides a list of famous autistic people and i think it's quite interesting, some people on this list, like Albert Einstein, so famous autistic person, Charles Darwin, you've got Isaac Newton, wow, Elon Musk, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Edison, Ludwig van Beethoven, Anthony Hopkins, just like the series of people, it's not, it just doesn't feel um, like it should be cast, I suppose, as a disability, no. I think saying neurodiverse, it's just like, much better because it means your brain to me it makes you think that your brain just works in a different way as yeah. opposed to there's something wrong, wrong. with your brain yeah effectively just a variation of different skills yeah basically yeah i love that actually because i for some reason i thought neurodiverse seemed also quite negative but actually you've explained it quite nicely that it could just be seen as a variation because it does seem to be so many negative connotations with the word autism doesn't there and I think a lot of it is to do with all the historical stereotypes the lack of empathy that they possess apparently but I think Chloe Hayden mentioned it in her book as well about empathy that she said that could actually be untrue because she said she describes feelings actually more intensely yeah and all-consuming so that often leads to the overwhelms that autistic people experience and even meltdowns so has Amelia got to that point where she's had a meltdown and then you get children that have tantrums don't you and often those two words are confused by people so what's the difference and and how has Amelia experienced those yeah I controversially I don't know if there is a difference because I think maybe maybe the children actually experience meltdowns Mm. anyway Mm. and they just a tantrum I suppose is them not dealing with their feelings but it's not I suppose in Amelia's case it's not deliberate which mm-hmm. is the difference okay. um because she just something where her her brain can't process that information in the way that neurotypical people would expect I suppose it to be processed so yeah she just for her it's mainly that she actually just screams yeah or gets really upset she Occasionally, she will start self-harming, not in a particularly like violent way. She'll just start hitting herself sometimes, I think. Mm. Again, it's just with her. Because wasn't there that shoe incident the other day yeah. where you misplaced a shoe? Tell yeah, us about so, that. 
slash you disaster. <laughs> it was quite distressing. So she won't, she obviously has a lot of issues with her feet and sensory, sensory issues with her feet. Um, so she won't wear socks. So in the winter, we've started to get her Ugg boots to wear, not proper Ugg boots, just from wherever we can find them to keep her feet warm. Yeah. Otherwise, she'd be just be freezing. Which she she's happy with Ugg boots, but she's been wearing Ugg boots all winter to school, and they'd worn out, and they'd worn out on Friday. And we had a very busy weekend. We were going to a wedding, so there was no opportunity really to go to the shops and get some new ones. And then, luckily, in the middle of this wedding, we had a little brief moment where we went, where we had some free time. So I did pop into Shoe Zone, and I miraculously found some more Ugg boots. So I put them in my bag, and we carried on with our day, which was at this wedding. And then, kind of like, thought all was good, but somehow we lost a boot. Uh-oh. So I got home and had one boot. But Amelia didn't know any of this, so that was fine. So had an opportunity to go and find new boots. Had managed to get a pair of trainers because there were some trainers in the shop we went to that she said she liked because they were pink. So the first day she wore the trainers on the Monday and that was fine. Then the second day, I really stupidly thought, I've got time to go to the shop today. So I'm going to get her to try this one Ugg boot that I have on to see if she likes it. And it fits. And, um... Yeah, so she tried it on and, of course, decided it was lovely and very comfortable. <laughs> and then I had to explain that I lost the other one. And she couldn't cope with that feeling of loss of this shoe. She was absolutely devastated to the point where she was sort of trying to strangle herself in class with her hands because she got so emotionally het up and raw and distressed that we'd lost the shoe that she'd never actually had in her life because <laughs> she'd yeah. never had both shoes but I think yeah she was I mean she kind of almost created a personality I guess for the shoe and felt sorry for the shoe that was lost so it was really quite a distressing situation but I knew that school was kind of the best place for her because they've got people well trained to deal with try and calm her down and get her in a better place and I left her and I came back to my desk to try and start work, but I just <laughs> just broke down. They went to shoe zone and bought some more boots. <laughs> yeah. Took them into school and told her I found the shoe. And a massive relief. And she was so happy with that scenario. Yeah. And then we've since bought extra shoe extras of the same shoe. <laughs> so she's now got different sizes of them. But it was yeah, it was just her I think just the way her brain was functioning, it was so devastated about the loss of the shoe she couldn't then cope or see or think anything else it was all encompassing this yeah. loss of this she one get that out of shoe. her mind no. no and that was yeah it's quite distressing really to see that reaction yeah to that yeah and that's one of the it's like generally life's fine and you can manage it but then every now and again there's these small bits where kind of autism just rears up and mm. confronts you and just that was one of them yeah and just simple things like you think oh I'll just get her to try this shoe on to check it fits and she likes it and if she does I'll go and buy another one and you think oh that's just a simple thing what a yeah. good idea and it turns out to be an absolute disaster wow you just can't predict no some things can you 
So another potential trait of someone who is autistic is stimming. Again, it's often perceived as quite a negative or socially unacceptable thing to do. Don't know why. But can you tell us more about what stimming is, Lindsay? And does Amelia have any stims at all? I think, yeah, I don't know much about it. I mean, stimming, I think, is... So it's a very simple thing. Like, if I'm sat here twiddling my ring, yeah, that's stimming. Oh, so everyone does it everyone, yeah. Okay. Everyone can stim in certain ways. Twiddling your hair? Twiddling your hair, fiddling with something. It's all sort of stimming. I suppose they're more subtle. Yeah, subtle repetitive behaviour. Amelia doesn't really do a lot of stimming, to be honest, that I've noticed. I mean, she does love sensory toys, Mm -hmm. so squishy toys and balls. She'll love to play with those. It's fidget spinners. Yeah, fidget spinners and stuff like that. So I suppose that's a level of stimming. But Mm -hmm. in her normal day-to-day, she doesn't display stimming out and about around places, etc. Going back to the superhero um, analogy that you mentioned, or superpower analogy, which I loved. Um, Chloe Hayden in that book that you mentioned, The Different Not Less, she actually talks a little bit about that as well, doesn't she? And she does refer to stimming as one of those things because it's that repetitive sort of movement. And she says that slowly it's becoming perceived as an ability and actually a talent because a lot of non-autistic people couldn't do that sort of repetitive movement over and over again, could they? So I am wondering, if we just allowed autistic people to be their authentic selves without judgment, there might be a million other skills that they could do. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think it's there's probably lots of aspects, I think, of the way their brains work that could really be impressive and shouldn't be considered something negative. Well, like you say, all those famous... People, yeah. scientists that you read out, exactly. they've all got this superpower. Yeah, it's the superpower of kind. It's kind of that stimming in a sense where you are dedicated to something. And right. I suppose in the scientists, I see a dedication to something, to their particular aspect of science, to mm. discover and learn more and focus on it and not lose track, essentially. And that total kind of obsession, I suppose, that you can... I suppose is a word you could associate with it. Yeah. As well. Dedication yeah. to something. But yeah, that's an ability. Yeah. And a talent, absolutely. Actually, I've got another friend. Like I said, I've got, I know lots of people <laughs> with experience in autism. My friend Louise, she lives in Ken and she's got a little boy called Hennis. He's always loved trains, like to the point where he probably has been obsessed with them. But yeah, like we say, I think that intense passion for something will certainly hold him in good stead for yeah. whatever he wants to do in life. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think we need to change our attitudes, don't we? It's good that we're talking about the mm. positive side of autism because we do need to see traits as positives rather than negatives. Concentrate on what autistic people can do rather than what they can't yeah. do. And again, when we're talking about disabilities, when Amelia says how she might have a learning disability because people do associate disability as negative, but actually we do need to focus on what they can do um, and not what they can't. So let's carry on with this positivity, because I like it. (laughs) With that in mind, tell us about something about Amelia, which is amazing and could be down to the fact that 
that she's autistic. You wouldn't change her for the world, would you? What does she love doing and what is she really good at? She loves dancing. She mm-hmm. loves her well, it's not really ballet. She loves her modern dancing. She um, did the show at the weekend. Yeah, so she did, which I think is kind of incredible for her because she has to overcome so many different things to do that. And I think yeah. that probably shows dedication to something. She wants to be a dancer. She is willing to wear socks that she hasn't worn for like three years for this show because she has to wear a uniform. She is yeah. willing for the show to wear leggings, which games for like a normal person, it doesn't sound like a massive thing, but yeah. my daughter hasn't worn leggings since she was like three. Right. And or trousers, I should say, or tights. So to then be in this scenario and dig deep and put these items of clothing on and then we go into the changing room and it's full of people in different costumes all getting ready, all at different stages, lots of talk and chatter. And I just think that must be such an overwhelming sensory environment to be in as well. Yeah. That you've then got to cope with that and put these items of clothing on that you also find uncomfortable to wear. Then she went on stage and she did two dances, one with a group and one was by herself. And I'm just like... A solo? Yeah, solo dance on the stage. You must have been and so I'm just proud. like that's it just it does make me so proud because I'm just like, wow. I think it just shows a level of dedication and desire yeah. to want to do something because she loves dancing, so it's you know, she's overcoming all those extra hurdles she's got to deal with to get there. So yeah, she's um pretty fantastic in that way. I think that's amazing. Her other she's so imaginative and comes up with so many stories in her head, but I think that's another definite skill of hers um and she's very funny she i think she always mm-hmm. she likes to be the entertainer <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sure that will hold her in good stead and if she wants to be one of my dance teachers when she's older <laughs> she can be no i love dancing as you know and speaking of dancing you know how i love cats the musical so Gillian lynn who choreographed cats is also autistic yeah um she used to get told off for not sitting still at school yeah but then they didn't know so much, did they, say, 20, yes, 30, yeah, 40 yeah. years ago? Lindsay, you're going to Camp Festival in Dorset yeah. again this year. That's really exciting. How does Amelia cope, though, with that, the busyness of a festival and the noise and the sensory overload? Are there any provisions at the festival to make it more accessible for her? Yeah, I mean, they do make it as accessible as they can. She's, I don't think she suffers too much in terms of the noise and the sound, or maybe she actually... In, Joys that environment. Mm. We've been going since she was two years old, so used to it now. (laughs) Yeah, for her, it's it's actually part of her routine. I think she would be upset if we didn't take her. Oh no, because she's very much like this is what we do. That's going to be expensive (laughs) year after year. (laughs) We go to Camp Festival, (laughs) and it's just it's designed for children, so it's a lovely, safe environment to be. We also get like access to the kind of viewing platform so you can go and it's a bit more spacious Uh and you can have a bit more room to move around we do take her headphones with us but I don't think she's I think she's used them but I don't think she necessarily needs them the whole time she's there and then they have they have so many other things that she just loves doing like she loves a bouncy castle and some of the other toys they have they have circus toys to play with which again are quite um I guess it's playing to her sensory needs Mm -hmm. so she loves it (laughs) 
Brilliant. So, Lindsay, what advice would you give to other parents thinking of going down the autism diagnosis route? And are there any support groups out there or any websites you could recommend? I think I would, if it's recommended to you, and you, or if you think your child might be, autis- be autistic, I think personally it's worth doing because I think people, you know, the awareness of autism is such so much greater these days. It just can only help them in my experience I think and also when once Amelia was diagnosed we did through school we were offered lots of kind of parenting courses about autism and there's quite a lot of it's like quite a few websites that are useful but I found a few kind of local Facebook groups about send children generally and it's quite useful to just look on those and read some of those their stories and see what experiences other people are having with the system and stuff um, definitely and share experience but the other thing is I have found it's not always I think because it is like neurodiversity and it presents in such different ways I haven't always found it that helpful to necessarily hear what other people have been through and said because I think sometimes you're presented with such a unique situation for your child yeah that actually there isn't always somebody with a solution. So whilst it is helpful and I think it's useful to go to these things, I don't don't expect an absolute answer. No, absolutely <laughs> not. No, it's just getting an idea of what other people go through, I suppose, makes you feel assured that you're not the only one. Yeah. And we're celebrating Autism Awareness Month, so there's going to be a website for that. Um, I think Chloe Hayden mentioned the National Autistic Society. Yeah. I think that's autism.org.uk. And what I'll do is I'll put all the links in the podcast description as well for people to look into more. So I feel like we've had a really good conversation, but at the same time, we haven't really touched the surface, have we? No. There's only so much you can talk about sort of in an hour's time. But hopefully we will spark up a few more conversations. And I'm hoping that soon we'll get to the point where people are more accepting of autistic people in their lives just like Amelia's classmates are now, and for autistic people to be their their authentic selves without judgment. And I know, Lindsay, you will keep advocating for Amelia too and make sure she gets all the support she needs. And for those listening, I hope you find something from this episode that will help you understand autism in more depth. And remember, we are all different. We are just a variation of people. Thank you, Lindsay. See you very soon. Let's have some lunch now, shall we? Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you haven't already, please follow Kiri Presents or Inspiring Stories on the podcast platform of your choice. And don't forget to share on the socials if you enjoyed it. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.